Hello and welcome to the Manage Self Lead Others podcast, mainly for experienced and aspiring people managers. I'm your host, Nina Sunday, and this is the show to help you explore ways to become the best version of yourself at work as a manager. Each episode, you'll hear from some of the brightest business minds on the planet who share your passion to elevate and transform team culture. They'll share insights in self-leadership, and leading others. Together, we can make workplace culture better. Are you ready? Because it's time to manage self, lead others. Recognised by Thinkers360 as one of the top 20 thought leaders in the future of work, change and culture, Laura Goodrich is author of Seeing Red Cars, Driving Yourself, Your Team and Your Organisation to a Positive Future, which Forbes magazine labelled as a must-read for leaders. Laura is founder of GWT Next, whose 90-day hybrid coaching process and and programmes, which include coaching, cinematic micro-learning programmes, leverage filmmaking, storytelling and accountability to create transformation for organisations. Welcome, Laura. I think that something that we that would be important for us to talk about is how a very small percentage of leaders and organizations um, see this time as a time to innovate and to change, and um, and and if and even a smaller percentage recognize that they're going to have to put an effort to reconstructing the social and emotional health of the team after everything that we've been through. Yes, are you are you suggesting that managers are underestimating yes. the impact on the mental health of Absolutely. their team? Absolutely. Mm. Under because I the think focus, that's a global problem. It's a global pro- problem. Um, there's been a tremendous emphasis on business continuity and lo and behold, it's working. Business continuity is working. Um, but people put their head down and really worked hard to to enable that and you know have sustained stress for a, an uncertainty for a, a long period of time and there's we did a survey actually with pair um and Gosh. we found uh with 5000 leaders and we um asked them what were their, their thoughts about the social and emotional health of their team and it was like nothing literally it didn't even register in the low range. They're not even asking the question. Not, they, they don't think it's an issue. Well, hello. Yeah. They Have, think it's are they issue. having one-on-ones with their people? To- well, see, that's the thing. I mean, that's what we, you know, that we built into the process. So what I have been thinking about since all of this has come out, it's really this combination of my, my work and observation of humans in a change dynamic environment And then I spent two years um, working as an advanced trained crisis counselor. And um, I I, um, experienced a lot of very, very difficult um, things. But one of the things that I came to recognize is that people are quite heroic in crisis. Um, It is after the crisis when, you know, things really come unraveled. And that's what we're seeing now. Because it's it's been the 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 surge to uh, to cope with the crisis 
came on board and people met that crisis, but now it's been sustained now for 18 months. Yes. And, and it, it gets sustained. to a point, yeah, it gets to a point where people, ju- I don't know, just can't continue in the same fashion. Right. right. And it's sustained. And now we've got, you know, other stressors that are coming up at the at the moment in many parts or different parts of the world that it started to feel like okay this is now getting better now you know now the story is changing and so it's a resurgence of that stress and so the point um, that we are having conversations about is is that it's really critical to reconstruct stop reconstruct that social and emotional health of the team be having the conversations about the well-being of um, team members, um, reconnect with them in non-business continuity ways in the, in the way that we used to um, socially and, um, and then give them the opportunity to connect with peers similarly as in many of them aren't any longer, aren't in the, you know, enough to fulfill that, you know, that relationship side that is, um, you know, that was, that was richer before. So, Laura, we're talking now about teams that are working remotely from home or teams that are returning back to the office um, or a bit of both. A bit of both. A bit of both. Because obviously there is both that that is going on. And, you know, there is a, a lot of stress going back to the office. And there is a, a, a dissension. So that when we look at and talk about the, the phases of crisis, the first phase is the hero phase. And, and we, we, of course, looked at our, you know, our frontline workers and we could see indeed that they were heroes. Uh, the, I would argue anyone in a leadership role was a hero in what was accomplished in a very, very uh, quick period of time. And then once we got the technology figured out and everything, then we were like, then it's kind of a honeymoon. It's like, look at us. Is it, we can do this. Look, you know, this is really, it's like a honeymoon. Um, as one executive said to me, she said, my adult children are home. We happen to really love one another. It's just fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then it, it, several months later, when I spoke with her, she said, well, our neighbor has done a full reconstruction on their home. And that means that there is, you know, workers all the time and there is noise constantly. They cut, you know, our lines on several occasions. So I didn't have Wi-Fi. My adult son walked through my office shirtless in his boxer shorts when I was running the most important meeting, you know, of my career. So now she's in the dissensions phase. It's not so pretty anymore, right? She's, she's in that place of frustration. And a lot of people were in that place of frustration that they didn't air that frustration to their organizations because they felt like there was vulnerability with their work. And so they stamped that down, held that in. Um, And so the next phase after dissension is reconstruction. And so our survey told us in uh, very, very simple terms that the vast majority of leaders are circumventing that phase altogether. They're just plowing right past it. And they believe that they can. And in so doing, um, we believe that they're not going to be able to reap the, the final phase that we have added to it, which is the Renaissance phase. And if it is an, a, a time of extraordinary opportunity and you know a lot of innovation and a lot of change, but 
if they if that time isn't placed into reconstructing, get that as a solid foundation on which to build what's next and to innovate in different ways. Well, I guess a simple thing to say is that the ones that do that will, you know, be way ahead of those that don't. Well, Laura, what there seems to be a trend uh, globally that individual contributors, not the, the not the managers, but the people who who uh, the managers lead, there's there's a high percentage of proactively looking for for another job new work and this this will call the uh, cause the most incredible talent drain and do you think managers are not even considering this well i think that they are considering this what they're not considering is the why behind it right the why what you know what what brings us to what they're now describing as the great resignation, right? The high percentage of individuals that have spruced up their resumes and are engaging in conversations with uh, people in their network, uh, people that they worked with in the past, and they're getting some very exciting opportunities. And the other piece that, that they're doing is, is considering changes, changing industries, changing roles. They're looking at what they do and they're saying, hmm, I could, I could take that and I could put it in a different area. And that would be kind of interesting to do something different. So there's not only are, uh, are there a lot of people that are in the wind, you know, sort of looking for opportunities, I think that they're opening their minds to different roles. That's right. And a lot of them have searched inside themselves saying, what yes. do I really want to do? Right. And so, I mean, I, I would find that like, even before I had my own business, I would find every holidays, I'd be thinking of all the new things I could be doing in the coming year, um, you know, to, to make my life better or to, uh, to follow my passion. And I, I, COVID has given people a chance to do that as well. Right. And it could right. be so, fewer nights away from home, more time with their family. Well, that's the other thing. I think that people really want to be intentional in how they design their lives. And yeah, there is not so much of here's my work and here's my life. It's here's my life. And I'm looking at designing that. To, it's They're not separate. Laura, you and, nailed it. That's it. That's absolutely it. You've got it. Right. And so um, what I would say is that there are leaders and organizations that are going to do really well through this That's because right. they're dialed in and they're aware of the fact that they really need to um, attend to their leaders and their employees, really connect with them on a personal level and demonstrate to them that, that they are first. And you know, there's such an or such a strong emphasis on customer first. And sometimes you see that it's like customer is first. Well, I mean, the resounding message with that is employee is not first. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, there's a lot of people that are looking for an organization that really does elevate their role with the customer, but they see their role with the employee as equally important and not so separated. Um, and, 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 and they want to work with an organization that shows that sense of caring and that trust. So here's an example. I had early on had a conversation with the CEO and he said, as soon as COVID is over, we'll mandate that everybody come back. And I said, 
right? Did you hear that? And he said, what? And I said, that's the sound of your competition doing a triple summy off of their desk because they are delighted to hear you say that because they're going to, they're going to be very interested in your best employees. And they, if they know that you're operating with that mentality, that's exactly what they're going to do is go and find your most innovative forward-leaning employees because that, that, and, you know, and then the next time he was like, well, maybe we'll have some flexibility. One of the things I said, what is it? What's the biggest, what's the trouble here? And he's like, well, we can't get a hold of people and it delays, you know, the process. Well, I'm like, is that the people or is it, is that the process? Because if you've got a method and an expectation for how readily you can connect with people and, you know, get a question answered or bring people into a dialogue and conversation, that's the other thing that, you know, great organizations have done. They've established, okay, how do we do this so that we can keep that continuity going? And, you know, nobody wants to say, well, we can't get a hold of Nina, so we need to delay this for, you know, until we can. I mean, we do have to be able to make sure that we can keep things going. So a lot of times it's a matter of, of establishing the expectations. It's one of those things where people think, well, okay, so the way we solve this is we bring everyone into the office and that way we can see them, right? And now, now we feel like we've solved it. I don't know that we've solved anything. You, you know, there have been employees that have been playing games on their computers since the beginning of time. There are there are employees that you know did not have a high degree of productivity, and you saw them every day. And, and I dare saw- say, <clears throat> some some of their best people would be busy in meetings or out of office uh, client meetings. So I dare say, if they look back pre-COVID, maybe people were just as unable to be contacted as during as a mid-COVID, you know? Well, it's interesting that you mention it because um, I remember walking to a very large office building in a metropolitan area literally five years ago, and it was like a ghost town. I was counting the number of people that were at their desks, and I thought to myself, this is very expensive real estate. Uh, you know, how can, how can these organizations continue to pay what they're paying for this real estate when, you know, they have so many people on the road? That was, that was a causation back then is they had a lot of people on the road. Um, but, but many now are examining that cost against benefit. And we have done some work with an architecture firm and they're going into organizations and redesigning the space. That's right. This is happening in Australia. It's happening globally. Yes. Mm. So they're making it into a place that actually fosters uh, innovation, creativity, Mm. actual connection, people with people. I mean, I always show, you know, a picture of a room of, um, you know, people in their cubicles. Yeah. And I say, you know, if you think this fostered innovation before or your culture you're dreadfully wrong because it did not foster your culture. And, you know, it's interesting because if we look at sales organizations who have worked remotely since the beginning of time, most salespeople are remote workers and we're since the beginning of time. And the question that you would ask is, do they have a sense of the culture of the organization that they work for? Yes, they have to. 
They couldn't sell for it if they didn't have a very strong sense of the culture, not just the products, but the culture of the organization. They are the face of the organization showing that. And they've long demonstrated that culture, um, you know, it, it, it doesn't take place when you're in the office. It's about how you communicate with people. It's about what is most, has greatest meaning to, to the organization and to you. It's, it is all of those things. It's not where you sit in a desk. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you're very much involved in the learning and development side of things as well, aren't you, Laura? Well, you know, in a, we, what we do is we design programs to help leaders and employees more effectively change, transform, or innovate. Right. And um, those programs are brought into organization in various ways. It's not uncommon that we come in with, um, let's say, a chief operations officer, division president. And really, the criteria of beginning the conversation is a leader that has an initiative that's a priority. Uh, and they are the champion of that. And that's where our conversation often begins. And, um, you know, they really serve as the leader. And often there is a cohort group of other leaders that are charged with various aspects of those initiatives. And so that's often, um, that is often where we make that connection or where our partners connect with our organizations. And you're a big fan of micro learning? As opposed to yes. training days, <laughs> uh, I am, um, but not not just micro learning alone. And um, and I'd I'd love to share with you where this began because it was really, and I think all of us in our lives have those moments of epiphany. And mine was I was on a plane flying over the beautiful red mountains of Utah. And if you've ever seen the mountains in Utah, um, you'll you know you'll appreciate the inspiration that they create. And as I was flying over those mountains in a plane, I thought to myself, we spend billions of dollars on training and it is largely ineffective. It does not stick. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ask people uh, what they remember about even a program that they liked a week later. And they will not be able to tell you specific things about it. And yet we keep throwing money at that process. And in that moment, I said, we could do better. I mean, we have tools that we can do better. So I really looked at and was thinking about several things, Nina. One um, is that as a coach, you know, if I would, would work with a, a leader over the course of time, and create that accountability, lo and behold, that you'd see them developing gains that were very different than let's say if other people that might be in a, a, a training program. And by the way, I've done hundreds upon hundreds of hours of training programs. And, um, and so I, I'll be the first to say that I know that when they stand alone, that they are highly ineffective and that we can do better. 
It's it's uh, that's a little disappointing, isn't it? <laughs> well, you know, I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. I'm seeing, you know, as long as we don't stop there when we do the training, right? As long as we don't stop there. And that's what often, you know, we start and we stop in one spot and we don't do anything else. So I knew that by way of coaching and spacing that experience over time and creating that accountability where people are taking action, you'd see real change. And then I knew if I worked with a small group together and they were figuring out how to lead change or how to bring a new innovation in or solve the challenges that they faced, Lo and behold, there were a lot of answers in that group um, when they were working together, again, over the course of time. And then the question that always came up to us is how do we keep, how do we deepen this learning and keep it going? And that's, wh that's when we started to create micro learning. How do we deepen that learning and keep it going? So our micro learning is not learning as such, it's, we're storytellers. And so ours are all based on story and narrative. Our store, stories, uh, they stick. And in fact, whenever I've presented, it's the stories that people remember, you know, and you use stories to illustrate a point, but people can hang their memory of the, of the key principles on the stories that you tell. So it sounds yes. like you're doing something similar. <laughs> yes, that's what we do. And so, and that's how it began, Nina, because I was a storyteller in, 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 in my coaching, I use storytelling. Um, and in my training, I use storytelling in my conversations at, at the cocktail, at a cocktail party, I use storytelling. I'm just, you know, love using stories. And my business partner told stories from behind the lens. And so, um, a dozen years ago, we came together and began telling stories together and, um, it, you know, to, to deepen that learning and to make it memorable, as you know. And so we're always looking for stories and how we can space those stories. Now imagine spacing the stories in with the coaching and the cohort group. Now we've got leaders taking actions and we're putting stories in that path. So where do you find your stories? Is it, say you're working with a client, they'll tell you their stories and you illustrate those or you've already got a bank of stories that you then use? Um, you know, when we design a process where we look at the process and we ask questions, um, what are some of the obstacles that, we're gonna, that, we, that will be encountered? What's a story that could help us uncover those obstacles? Is it, does that and, mean like a case study uh, or... Here's an example. Yeah, one of the stories that we, yeah, one of the, so, so it, the example is, is that we were designing a, a, pro, a number of programs and um, it was a, a, about change. And so we know that people are very resistant to change and it could be anything, you know, let's say a new technology. So we said, we need to tell a story that provides perspective on this change that they're being asked to make. So the story that we told is a story of, of a, a musician named Billy McLaughlin. And Billy was very successful um, acoustic guitarist. He traveled the world and he was a solo guitarist. So he was in front of an audience and all of a sudden without warning, he, the two fingers on his dominant hand began to curl. And it took a long period of time to discern what his malady was, but ultimately they found that it was a condition called focal dystonia. And the doctors told him to walk away from his career, that it would be no longer. And he said to himself, 
um, well, I don't have the use on my right hand. I am fully functional on my left. And he closed himself in a room and he taught himself how to play the guitar on his non-dominant side. And if you've ever tried to do anything on your non-dominant side, you recognize the task that he had before him. But in this story, he tells of this excruciating process that ultimately brought him to a positive place. And it's a story that tends to stir emotions with people, um, but that gives you an example. So we, a lot of times they are not work related stories. They are people stories. There are stories that we encounter in our lives and, um, you know, stories of, of great people. So we have some folks that help us find them. We also go out and we ask, we say, we're, we're looking for a story that do, does this. Does anyone have one? Um, and you know, every, oh, a lot of times people have stories. So really we, interesting. Yes. I mean, we, and we have a bounty of them we've not produced yet, but we would love to. Well, uh, I guess there's no shortage of stories in this world. And, uh, right. Uh, as as the world changes and, and revolves, I mean, more stories are being created. And we all need fresh stories too because right. uh, uh, it's the news stories that kind of, uh, you know, capture us. We're sort of coming to the end of our conversation, Laura, and it's, I'm, I've, been, I've been hanging on every word. It's been wonderful. Um, so where are we? Where are we headed and where should we be? Well, we're at a place where there's just a small percentage of leaders and organizations that recognize that they're going to have to do some work to um, rebuild and reconstruct their teams. Um, but those that do, and those that see that that will be then the foundation to change and innovate in ways that are extremely difficult for us to anticipate but there are many of these emerging technologies that are now blossoming. You know, they've been, they've been like a bud of a flower for a while, but they are now blossoming and opening up and will demonstrate they will disrupt roles. They will undeniably disrupt roles, permanently disrupt roles. But we believe that there will be a disproportionate amount of opportunity that will exist. Uh, that innovation and just think of all of the things that came about, all of the industries that supported an automobile and as automobiles began and just think of all the related industries that now exist and then imagine that in many, many other sectors. So um, rather than operating in a place of fear, operate in a place of intention and um, really, really take care of that team and the leaders and really think about building that foundation so that you can create what's next. And I think what's next will be terribly exciting. Well, if, it's very interesting. You, you draw a parallel with the, the, the automobile industry because if you think about it, when Henry Ford created the, um, the uh, manufacturing line uh, uh, it, it was at a time when uh, small groups, small specialist groups would create one car all together all at once. Yes. It was terribly expensive. And then Henry Ford uh, just re reinvented the whole process and made it possible to churn out car after car after car because of people specialised in their own niche area uh, of the, you know, of the conveyor belt, if you like. Yes. The, the, yes. the production line. So, 
in a sense, because of the, the transformation of the world through the internet and this um, connectivity, we, you know, we're only, like we're now at 100 years after the motor, motor car, we're, we're only 20 years into the internet, really. So right. we, just um, if we can only imagine what the next 80 years is going to bring us, it's going to be extraordinary, perhaps even living on other planets. It's unbelievable what's coming it it is. It is in, in so many ways, very difficult to envision, right? And, and because we can't vision it, we, we don't really know what that could possibly be like. But I, you know, the, the bottom line is, I believe more opportunity than threat, particularly for those that are um, willing, able to change, learn new things. Uh, many of these new skills will take time. Just like the story of Billy McLaughlin, who had to close himself in the room to teach himself how to play on the non-dominant side. It was a very enduring process. And we'll have to, you know, at the very stage when a lot of people will just as soon stick with what they've got, we'll have to learn some new things that will take effort. And, um, you know, I always say sometimes we don't know we need change when we need it because I've yet to come across anyone that's learned something new that isn't invigorated by the fact that they conquered and learned something new. And one final question. Um, some of the people that I've, I've interviewed in this podcast uh, going back, they've, uh, they've been involved in, in cultures where they gave a name to the culture that was about focusing on people like Accor uh, Hospitality Group focus on the having a heartest culture and they state it, we, our culture is heartest. Um, uh, UKG, the, the Ultimate Kronos Group, they search for deeper meaning and they have a name for their culture and, and these organisations are more intentional. Is that, is that one way that, say, tomorrow a manager uh, or a, a senior leader could say, let's give our uh, our focus on culture, a name, and let's put our energy behind that. Is that is that one one pathway forward? I think it's a great starting place. It's a great starting place, and then really define the words that you know that are would encompass that. But the question that I often ask is, uh, you know, when they come to us, they'll say, "Here is that you know that overarching message, and here are our words." And I'll say to them, well, how are your words doing? <laughs> you know, because words don't do so well when they're just words. And that there again is an opportunity to tell stories. And that's something that we help organizations also do is, all right, so here's a word. Let's go find someone that exemplifies this in your organization, someone that is trusted and someone that others um, care about, and this is not rank, this is not based upon role, it's based upon trust, and share those stories. So that's a powerful way, yes, define what that means, what, do, what is your culture, what do you need it and want it to be, identify the words that are critical to it, and then use story as a means by which to uh, foster that, you know, that behavior, because you need to see behavior change. And we always say stories and peer influence has, you know, that doesn't stop at 16, right? That forever we've been influenced by others. We've been in, in this is, that's a powerful way to do that. Well, Laura, it's been fascinating uh, doing this deep dive into uh, using stories to uh, to uh, inspire change. How, uh, do you work with people all around the world or just in the United States or uh, how do people work with you? 
We have partners all around the world. We're really focused on, on, on producing these programs, designing processes to implement them. And we are always looking for partners, um, consulting firms or consultancies that um, are working with clients and then what they use our programs and our process as a part of their larger consulting offer. So it's a, it's a, it's a piece of their larger, um, you know, but, but the, the, the beauty is that we, everything that we do can be virtual and that's what we've always done. And so we've learned a lot of lessons in 12 years of doing that, right? And we've learned them the hard way. And that's some of the things that um, are difficult to know in the beginning. Absolutely. Well, uh, and how can people find you, Laura? Well, definitely LinkedIn is a great place to right. begin because that's dynamic and it's ongoing. So connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, GWT Next is our website yep. and Laura at GWT Next for an email. But let's start off at LinkedIn because that's dynamic and it's a way where we can begin with a conversation. Laura Goodridge, it's been fascinating speaking with you today and I really appreciate your time. Thanks for being here today. Thank you. It's lovely being with you. Today, we've been speaking with Laura Goodridge on the Manage Self, Lead Others podcast. I'm your host, Nina Sunday. Remember to subscribe and listen to Manage Self, Lead Others wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, ciao for now. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.